Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, where does Winnipeg stand when it comes to reconciliation? Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017 has shown reconciliation to be a key finding and a recurring theme throughout. So we'll dig deep and talk about reconciliation throughout today's episode of RC360. Up first, Director of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba, Rai Moran. We'll talk about the statistics as they pertain to our city and how Winnipeg and all of Canada has been approaching reconciliation. Then we visited Insurgents Resurgence, the largest collection of Indigenous contemporary art ever hosted by the Winnipeg Art Gallery. We'll speak with curators Jamie Isaac and Dr. Julie Negum to learn more. We'll also speak with Crystal Fraser and Dr. Sarah Komarniski, the authors of an article titled 150 Acts of Reconciliation for the Last 150 Days of Canada's 150, to learn about how they're encouraging all Canadians to think about reconciliation and building relationships. We'll also speak with Leif Norman, the executive director of the Flash Photographic Festival that's taking place throughout the entire month of October. We've got all these great conversations, some wonderful music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan Robert here with you today. Thank you for tuning into the show. Rob, how is your uh, mid-October week treating you so far? It's been a pretty good week. It's been nice having some warmer temperatures, even though uh, we're we're very much into autumn now. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. How about you? It's weird how the weekends are cold, so you can't enjoy the nice weather. And then the weekdays are hot, so you're working the whole time. You know, that's kind of the way she goes sometimes. Well, there's that. And then there's also the weather being very cold in the mornings right. and then the afternoon. Yeah. It's great. Why would you wear a sweater? And then in the evening, of course, it gets back it's to uh, back to the cold how how are again. we ever going to survive? How do we ever? How did our ancestors ever do it here in Winnipeg? It's it's craziness. Today's show, we're going to be talking all about reconciliation. Um, you've probably heard that word quite a bit these days. Uh, we're dedicating this show, uh, which is inspired by the categories in Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017, one of them being reconciliation. Uh, so Vital Signs 2017 is a brand new survey released last week that is a snapshot of the current health of our city. Reconciliation is just one of 10 categories covered in the report, and it's the first that we're, dis- that we're focusing on uh, for the next 10 weeks because it's an incredibly important one. Uh, it's going to be an interesting group of discussions today because... Um, Talking about reconciliation, it's new to a lot of people. It's often raw, and it can often be a little bit difficult at times, but at the end of the day, for all Canadians, we need to be proud of the country we live in, and for that to be the case, it has to be equal and enjoyable for everyone to live here, not just some or most of us. Uh, for, I'd say, far too long, many Canadians, uh, many Manitobans, and many specifically many Winnipeggers, have been living as second-class citizens due to systemic racism and generations of abuse and inequality. So today we are going to start the conversation, but before we get to that, here's Mantovani with I Have Dreamed, right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined via telephone by Rai Moran. He's the director of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba. Rai, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So our our entire episode today is pretty much about reconciliation and truth and reconciliation, but maybe before we sort of get into the meat and potatoes of things, uh, for our listeners who haven't heard of, I guess we'll just call it the NCTR before, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, uh, what are your main goals? Uh, when did you come into and in, into existence? And just t- tell me a little, bit, a little bit about the organization. Well, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation is the mandated body that emerges directly from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission itself as a product of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. So that's all a bit of a mouthful, but for the listeners, the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement was the agreement that settled the largest class action lawsuit in Canadian history. It resulted in many different processes in this country, including uh, different forms of compensation for survivors. It resulted in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission itself, and central in the uh, in their work uh, moving forward as a country was the recognition that there needed to be a permanent and enduring body that would carry on in the footsteps of the TRC uh, in a spirit and manner consistent with the TRC, based not only on the archival record, but on on a variety of other mandates that we have. Mm -hmm. So a lot of of the work seems to have to do with maintaining records, uh, ensuring access to the history of Indigenous peoples. Why is is that access and and, and that history important? Well, the mandate of the NCTR is founded on the fundamental recognition that we cannot have honest conversations about reconciliation in this country without the truth. Central in the TRC's work was interviewing survivors, collecting documents from church and government archives, and pulling this all together so that Canadians could never deny what actually occurred in residential schools. We have to remember in this work of reconciliation that we're not just trying to get along better, but we're actually trying to move away from some very deeply divisive uh, societal norms, values, beliefs, systems that have operated in this country for a very long period of time. That's where the archive is absolutely at the heart of the NCTR's work, but sitting on top of that is uh, an extensive amount of work in in regards to education, public Mm -hmm. education, education of public servants, uh, research work, and uh, community engagement, all of which are absolutely essential to keep this work moving forward in the country. So how has the, how has the conversation changed and how has the work moved forward since, since the inception of the NCTR? How, how do you think Winnipeg and Canada and Manitoba has grown when it comes to reconciliation? I think the, the best starting place to, to have the conversation about what has changed is, is all the way back to 2010 when we held the first national event of the TRC at the Forks in Winnipeg. At that point, the conversation was still very raw mm-hmm. uh, for many survivors. Uh, over the following well, six years, we would talk to thousands of people across the country, many of whom were sharing their experiences with the TRC for the very first time in their lives. So what we have collectively experienced as a country is a mass of daylighting of history that we have never heard before because people were never empowered to tell it, never felt safe enough to tell it, and never had the opportunity to tell it. That truth is what has shaken this country uh, up a lot. It's what has given those that have been listening the opportunity to understand just the depth 
of the atrocities that were committed in the residential schools. Mm. And for this country really to, to find what we hope is a bit of a sense of humility mm-hmm. in regards to the fact that we really haven't gotten this right, this this formula of how to live together in respectful ways right in this country yet. Yeah. And survivors have really demonstrated to that, uh, that to us. Do you feel, when you're on your travel sort of around the country, do you feel a sense of optimism in, in when you're talking to people? Do you think we're on the right path? I think there's a lot of hope out there, and there is a lot of people that are working very hard to implement the calls to action. One of the things that's sometimes forgotten about, though, is that very important, that very foundational first principle of reconciliation uh, that the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is the path forward. That That's the framework for reconciliation. So as, as people and agencies are beginning to implement these calls to action, we always have to pass all of these steps through that rights-based filter because what has happened in this country is the near total destruction of Indigenous rights. We've got so few rights left as a result of the Indian Act, as a result of the the extensive processes of aggressive assimilation. Those rights that are articulated in that UN Declaration are very much the shield that will protect us from further harm, further abrogation of Indigenous cultures in this country. So as we begin to to do this work of reconciliation, I think there's a lot of people that are trying really hard. I'm not entirely certain that people have understood uh, that rights-based approach yet, though, Mm. fully, in terms of how we need to reform, adapt, change our systems that we we operate in. We've got more of my conversation with Rai Moran, director of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, coming up next. We're going to be talking about some of the findings in Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017 and what they mean on a national scale after a quick musical break. But first, we've got Jane Morgan with Love is a Simple Thing, right here on RC360. Love, 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 love. Love is a simple thing Love is a silver ring Shiny as a ribbon bow Soft as a quiet snow Love is a nursery rhyme Old as the tick of time Love is so many things Bright as an angel's wings Gentle as the morning light Long as a winter night Love makes an old heart sing And it fills every empty space Love is a warming place Love is a simple thing Love is a simple thing Love is a magic ring Much more fun than mistletoe Gay as a puppet show a soaring plane Love is a summer moon Gay as a big balloon Wild as a storm at sea Young as a calliope Love is a touch of spring And it gives you a sudden grace Love is a warming place Love is a simple simple thing. Love is a silver ring, shiny as a ribbon bow, soft as a quiet snow. Love is 
as the tick of time Love is so many things Bright as an angel's wings Gentle as the morning light Long as a winter night Love makes an old heart sing It's as sweet as a first embrace Love is a special face Love is a simple thing Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Before the break, we were speaking with Rai Moran, director of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, a.k.a. the NCTR. And we were talking about who they are, what they do, and in the second half of our conversation, we're going to be talking about Winnipeg Vital Signs 2017, the report, and what it found in regards to reconciliation. The Vital Signs report that we have been reporting on here uh, on, the ra- on the radio program sort of affirms what you've just been saying. So I want to maybe... Uh, talk about some stats that the vital signs report found and then i'll get your comments on that we found uh the vital signs report says that 42 percent of those that are familiar with the uh, truth and reconciliation commission believe that our community is not doing enough to address the calls to action now that's only 42 percent so what what needs to get done for people to understand that there is not being enough done in those communities to truly address the calls to action well, I think at the heart of that question is a set of other questions. I'd like to sit down with the other 60-some-odd percent of right. people <laughs> and say, what is it that you think is actually being done? And what what proof do you have and what evidence do you have? And how familiar, how familiar are you with the calls to action uh, right. as a whole? What we've seen in some of the, the surveying work that we've done through the National Center and through some of our other partners is that Canadians are kind of generally aware of the TRC. They recognize that there's there's some calls to action, but they're really not able to articulate in detail what the calls to action speak about. Mm-hmm. And that creates a major knowledge gap in terms of people being able to assess whether or not there's enough happening or not. Yeah. And what I'm, I'm much more interested in hearing from the people that are heavily immersed in the implementation of the calls to action that are actively working to implement those calls to action. I'm really interested in hearing from them because they're the people that really understand the calls to action the most and understand just how significant some of uh, the, the, the structural reforms and the relationship reforms are. Right. It's not to say that there's not good work happening, but uh, you, we always have to, to read these stats um, with a healthy degree of skepticism in terms of what people are actually reading into them and right. what sort of assumptions they're reading into them. And we have to remember that we live in a country, we live in a city still, that has some fairly um, uh, serious relationship challenges. There's there's a fair bit of prejudice. There's a fair bit of racism. We live in a country that still uh, just doesn't value uh, equality between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians as a general rule of thumb. Yeah. Uh, some other stats that our, that our findings found were uh, specific demographics tended to have a di- more difficult time uh, sort of dealing with equality and, and accepting equality. Um, this, these are very general, and it's just sort of a general oversense, so I'm not trying to paint the entire group with a single brush, but we found that um, Winnipeggers who have been in the city for more than 10 years 
um, believe that we are doing enough to address the, the, the calls to action. Same with men and same with people aged 35 plus. So there is a trend that people who are older and who have been here longer think that we are doing enough. Why do you think those specific demographics might have their blinders on or might be a little bit more prone to uh, a complacent attitude when it comes to reconciliation? I think the big challenge for a lot of Canadians is understanding that the current states of crisis within Indigenous communities and right within our own city of Winnipeg are not uh, normal let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back in time, uh, we have to recognize that Indigenous societies were thriving, and it takes but a short walk over to the Manitoba Museum to look at the quality of the beadwork that's in their collections, or other uh, examples of the richness of uh, Indigenous cultures that existed across the prairies and across the country, to see that communities were thriving. We know that, you know, there was intact legal systems, governance systems, health systems, you know, education systems, all that kind of stuff. What, where the disconnect comes is oftentimes people see the current realities, the current crisis faced by Indigenous communities, and frankly, blame Indigenous peoples for that crisis. Mm -hmm. I think this is a problem inherent to Indigenous peoples. Whereas the truth of the matter is that Indigenous peoples have been subjected to a absolutely horrific onslaught of aggressive assimilation policies in this country right from the very beginning of, of this country, resulting in things like the residential schools, resulting in things like uh, the forced starvation on the plains, resulting in things like the 60 scoop. And I have to tell you, when you read the real history and when you really hear exactly what happened to those young children in those schools it's it's heartbreaking it is you know egregious and it it just should not have uh it should not have happened Mm -hmm. because that has set so many families up for significant significant challenges as they walk through their lives Early childhood trauma is one of the most horrific of all things in our society. And it doesn't matter whether that's for Indigenous kids or non-Indigenous kids. Early childhood trauma is the worst because it's so difficult to recover from that. Right. It, 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 it's so damaging. Right. And unfortunately, Indigenous peoples through the residential schools and a host of other things have had these levels of trauma inflicted on them that it way surpasses any other community in, in this country. So Canadians oftentimes just don't understand these linkages, and, right. and they look at the current state rather than the past state, and that's where racially hardened or prejudiced attitudes come from. Absolutely. Well, Rai, thank you very much for your, for your wise words. Uh, where can people who are listening now go to find more information about the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba? Uh, well, we've got a website, which is uh, nctr.ca. Uh, the interesting thing with the website is you can gain access right to uh, a large number of survivor testimonies that were shared with the TRC in public forums. Uh, there's all the TRC's reports and materials there. Obviously, take a look at the TRC's website as well, trc.ca, and it's still up. And uh, I really encourage people to, to engage in this conversation and, and to spend the time 
uh, reading, listening, learning. Uh, it's very complicated. It's it's a very complex history that we're trying to come to terms with. It's challenging, uh, but it's something that we absolutely have to come to terms with in this country. Engagement and education is step number one, and then we can move forward from there together. Absolutely. Thank you, Mariah Moran, the director of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, for speaking with us today. Really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Rai Moran of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba. Now, that conversation had to be edited for length, but if you'd like to hear the full, unedited interview with Rai Moran of the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, please visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org, and you can hear the entire interview. Coming up after the break, Insurgents Resurgence is on now at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, and we'll speak with the curators Jamie Isaac and Dr. Julie Negum to learn a little bit more about the exhibition. Before we get to that, though, here is Malcolm Lockyer with I'm Gonna Sit Right Down and Write Myself a Letter, right here on River City 360. Thank you. 
That's the sound of Edgy Day. Push it. An interactive installation by Tsema Igaras. It's a caribou hide suspended by rope, and as you make contact with it, a microphone amplifies the sound. Edgy Day is part of Insurgence Resurgence, the largest exhibition of contemporary Indigenous art ever featured at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Curators Jamie Isaac and Dr. Julie Negum started working on Insurgence Resurgence a year and a half ago by researching and visiting studios. Julie explained that it was an opportunity to include a wide variety of contemporary Indigenous artworks. We looked specifically across Turtle Island. Uh, we focused primarily um, in the territories within Canada. We looked at having as many Indigenous nations represented as possible. We wanted to also uh, make sure we had a fair uh, kind of gender balance. We also wanted to include LBGTQ2S communities. And we were also just really excited to showcase the various mediums. Sound, like in this installation by Scott Bennett Abandon, is just one of the mediums included in Insurgents Resurgence, which also features photography, paintings, light installations, sculpture, beading, tufting, film, and animation. Jamie hopes that the exhibition will serve as a starting point to explore and showcase Indigenous artworks in other media as well. What was really exciting uh, looking forward and past this show is to think about the mediums that aren't in the show. And it's quite indicative that there are so many Indigenous contemporary arts working across the nation in all kinds of different mediums and really pushing uh, the boundaries of contemporary arts. And so we're really looking forward to working more together on larger shows down the road and expanding people's knowledge about contemporary Indigenous arts in Canada. Insurgents Resurgence showcases the works of 29 Indigenous artists, including 12 new commissions based on responses to the themes of insurgency and resurgence. Working with the artists to make leaps in their practices was really interesting in their commissions um, because they were excited, you know, about the theme and about exploring new works in a new commission. You know, we're really proud of all of the work in the entire show and the diversity and complexity that they bring uh, to the table in terms of a larger narrative of insurgency, political insurgency and cultural resurgence. One of the commissions centered around the theme of cultural resurgence is from Joy Arcand, whose works in three areas of the art gallery have to do with the revitalization of the Cree language. There are three areas in the gallery that she has work in. One of them is in Gallery 6, and it's a light installation of neon that has Cree syllabics. She works in this neon, and to do the light installation in Cree syllabics as a kind of hyper-visibility of the language, but also in material. And it's not translated, and so I think that's a reference to the inaccessibility to language intergenerationally and through the many policies of colonialism. Intergenerational Indigenous people have lost that access to language, but there are resurgencies in the the language that um, generations are now able to access, but still 
with the acknowledgement of the whole histories and decades of not being able to access it and the barriers of learning a new language. She also has the one going up the stairs, which is translated in the elevators. And so there are some of her works that are translated and some that aren't. And in the elevators, there's a, a chrysalabix chart. So if people really wanted to try hard to unpack the work, they would be able to do it. But it, it takes some effort. And that's one of the most remarkable things about Insurgent's Resurgence, its use of space. It's the first time that some of these spaces at the art gallery have been incorporated into an exhibition, taking it well beyond the regular galleries and onto, for example, the outside of the building or on the staircase. Julie explained why this was so important to the theme of the exhibition. For both of us, we were really interested in exploring site-specific work. We also uh, have worked really hard in working towards indigenizing or re-indigenizing the WAG space. So we're also, you know, we're thinking about how to reclaim space, how to shift the kind of dialogue and conversation outside of the white cube, break some rules while we're doing it. We were excited by um, inviting artists to specifically engage with some of the material. So the outside piece that you speak of, Kenneth Lavalley creation story, you know, will be on is on the front side, and that normally is taken up for marketing, and it's the first time that an artwork's been in that place. Also, Kenneth is working on the back side of the gallery for a permanent outdoor uh, painting on the back ramp. Uh, one of the works that's really quite beautiful and takes up the space in the skylight is Casey Koizan's work. Uh, you see it's suspended right into the actual skylight, so it's been strung through, and it has uh, harvest material from the Assiniboine and the Red Rivers. And he's really looking at the Indigenous uh, missing and murdered women, children, and men that have sort of been stolen from the depths of the river. Uh, the work's called Gone But Not Forgotten. He really wants to recognize the kind of disappearance that have happened to a lot of us and how it's affected us as families and community members and places like Winnipeg. Jamie hopes that Insurgents Resurgence will change people's preconceived notions about Indigenous contemporary art. I think exhibitions like this can be very transformative in um, people's ideas about people. Certainly, as it comes to Indigenous artists, I think people uh, will be surprised at their own biases and changed uh, in a way that changes their stereotypes of what uh, one perceives as Indigenous arts, one perceives as contemporary arts. So I think that people can be uh, can walk away from the show knowing that Indigenous contemporary arts is relevant to them and relevant to society. And the narratives are all of our narratives. And Julie expressed her hope that the exhibition will reach new audiences and engage more people in the arts. And I really hope um, some of the work Jamie and I have done around um, building with community or continuing to build with community organizations to make sure that there's a vast amount of audiences that are coming into the space. Um, also, we really tried hard to engage children. So um, we worked with an Indigenous designer, Destiny Seymour, on the exhibition design. And a key important part of us all being mothers was we really wanted uh, material and space for to engage children. It's also the largest group of people that come to the Winnipeg Art Gallery. So we really wanted to make sure that the work was engaging. We also hope that people are inspired 
inspired as contemporary artists, but also as youth or children thinking about working in the arts as a career. We really hope that it builds new generations of Indigenous contemporary artists and curators, cultural workers, and scholars. Thank you very much to curators Jamie Isaac and Dr. Julie Nagam for speaking with me about Insurgents Resurgence. I highly recommend you go and see the exhibition for yourself. And although the Winnipeg Art Gallery is closed to the public on October 19th today, you can check out Insurgents Resurgence tomorrow, October 20th, or anytime during the Winnipeg Art Gallery's regular hours up until April 22nd, 2018. And you can find out more information about the exhibition by visiting the Winnipeg Art Gallery website at wag.ca. That's W-A-G dot C-A. For River City 360, I'm Robert Zirk. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking with the authors of an article that went viral that's called 150 Acts of Reconciliation for the Last 150 Days of Canada's 150, and we'll hear about why they wrote the article and what Canadians can gather from it. But first, Young Bloods with Get Together, right here on RC360. Love is but a song we sing Fears we will die You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry Though the bird is on the wing And you may not know
If you hear the song I sing You will understand Listen You hold the key to love and fear All in your trembling hand Just one key unlocks them both It's there at your August 4th marked 150 days left in the year commemorating Canada's 150th, and while it's been a year of celebrations, there also have been a lot of dialogues about reconciliation and what it means for all Canadians. To further that discussion, Crystal Fraser, who is a PhD candidate in history at the University of Alberta, and Dr. Sarah Komarniski, who is a postdoctoral fellow in history at the University of Alberta. They published a list titled 150 Acts of Reconciliation for the Last 150 Days of Canada's 150th on the website activehistory.ca. I had the chance to speak with Crystal and Sarah via telephone from Edmonton about the list, and Crystal spoke to how the idea for the list came about. The idea for the 150 Acts kind of came out of being Indigenous. I'm Gwich'in from Anuvik Northwest Territories, Treaty 11, and I'm living in Edmonton on Treaty 6 right now, and I was trying to find a way to understand my my relationship um, to Edmonton, to the lands in this region, but also a growing discomfort around Canada 150 and the celebrations and, and what exactly all of that means. But also, you know, as we move further and further away from the truth and reconciliation calls to action, I was a little bit worried that maybe we were leaving those behind. So I started to think about everyday acts of reconciliation that not only, you know, everyday Canadians can do, but also someone like myself who is Wichin, acts of reconciliation that I can do. And very quickly, I... I had uh, a list of, of 20 or 30 items, and that's when I approached Sarah, who is a friend and a colleague, and I just thought, you know, what a great way to show reconciliation by partnering with a non-Indigenous Canadian. And then we formed this idea for, for 150 acts during the last 150 days of, of Canada 150. Another reason for developing the list, as Sarah noted, was to challenge themselves and others in their circles to think about their relationships to the places that they live in different ways. The list starts off with learning the land acknowledgement in your region, and that's kind of a foundational one. And it's something that, you know, pretty much 
anyone can do um, with a little bit of research. You can find out whose traditional territory you currently live in, right? So that's kind of a, an everyday thing. And, and then, you know, later on, you know, you get to encouraging people to include that land acknowledgement in everyday activities. Um, for example, there's one, you know, find out if your child's school does a land acknowledgement. And if they don't do it, ask that they do and ask that it come before the national anthem so that, you know, this is this is the kind of thing that becomes everyday practice at schools and workplaces, at gatherings, all that kind of stuff. Learning and understanding when it comes to reconciliation and building relationships is at the heart of the acts that are on the list. Crystal mentioned that while many of the acts are small everyday things, some of the acts prompt a much deeper reflection and dialogue. Some of these ideas that we included in the 150 list, you know, whole university courses are formed around these. So certainly it's not an easy thing. And I mean, one one example would be to support Black Lives Matter, you know, and learn how it is that colored racialized bodies, non-Indigenous colored bodies were also affected by colonization and kind of what what is our ongoing role? How do we continue to uphold these oppressive systems? Another one, which has been a little bit controversial in the news, is the practice of carding for Indigenous and other colored uh, people. And, and how is it that we can put those beliefs aside for just a moment and try and understand the perspective of Indigenous people around carding? So those are a couple of examples. Another one would be the whole so-called debate around Sir Johnny MacDonald and, and naming of schools and commemoration. A lot of these harder things on the 150 list we wrote as a way to encourage people to kind of reframe their thinking around Indigenous issues in Canada. The conversation has continued well beyond the post at activehistory.ca, and both Sarah and Crystal noted that the response to the list has not only been very positive, it's even brought on some positive changes. Over 25,000 people have have visited the site to to look at the list on on activehistory.ca, that's incredible to us. Um, when we when we started writing this list, I don't think we imagined that that many people would visit the site to read it. But it's it's really exciting, and that's kind of spurred um, a lot of engagement online. First of all, so on Twitter, if you look up the hashtag #150Acts, you can see um, organizations and individuals who've challenged themselves to engage with each item on this list. Actually, it seems to have really given people something tangible. I mean, the the calls to action are really directed at kind of institutions. And so for everyday people, those, those things are kind of hard to do. And so, um, you know, we've, we recognize that this list has kind of filled a gap for people where it's like, you know, I, I'm committed to this. I, I want to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. Well, you know, here's 150 things. I agree with everything that Sarah has said. The response was overwhelmingly positive in ways that we had never really imagined. We've also had a lot of personal messages from people. Encouraged by this response, Crystal and Sarah are planning to continue the project by creating large wall posters that list the 150 acts. And we also have another project on the go of, you know, creating a passport style booklet where people can easily, you know, carry that around with them and kind of check off the acts as they go and and make little notes and stuff like that. 
And of course, that hashtag 150Acts is still really strong. I was on Twitter the other day, and, and although it's been, you know, more than two months since we published that list on activehistory.ca, I see people uh, who continue to engage with that hashtag. If you'd like to see the original post of 150Acts for Reconciliation, you can find that online at activehistory.ca, or you can also watch Twitter with the hashtag 150ACTS. That's the number 150ACTS to find out more information about some of those supplementary materials that are in development and about future projects. You can also follow Crystal on Twitter at Crystal Fraser, and you can follow Dr. Sarah Komarniski on Twitter at Sizzle Komizzle. Thank you very much again to Crystal Fraser and Dr. Sarah Komarniski for taking the time to speak with me about 150 acts of reconciliation for the last 150 days of Canada's 150th. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by Leif Norman. He's the executive director of the Flash Film Flash Photography Festival. Sorry, not the film festival. Flash Photographic Festival. Flash Photographic Festival. That's a <laughs> bit of a tongue twister. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, hello. So for those of our listeners who haven't yet heard of the Flash Photog- Photographic Festival, tell us about it. Well, I uh, started it four years ago. Uh, it's uh, it, It's been happening every October, the whole month of October, so it's easy to remember. People say, you know, oh, is it still on or when does it end? It's all of October from the 1st to the 31st, so it's super easy to remember. Um, you know, there's a couple other festivals going on in, in Winnipeg, but it's not too, too cluttered. I didn't want to put the festival in July. No one would be mm-hmm. here. Right. The festival is open to anybody, so... You have a camera, Nolan. Yes, I do. In my pocket, technically, right now. <laughs> so you could be part of the festival next year. It doesn't just you don't have to be, you know, an artistic photographer or a professional photographer. It's kind of like the Fringe Festival in a way. I really love the, the mm-hmm. Winnipeg Fringe Festival because if you wanted to put on a play, well, guess what? Go for it. You can put on a play, and you don't Sweet. have to have any experience. So it's very inclusive. And in yes. the in the in the last you know ten years or so, camera equipment has become a lot more accessible too. Mm-hmm. So for the this particular festival, is there any themes that you encourage or is it just anything well, we goes. thought of doing themes in the past, you know, like saying, oh, well, let's do, a, you know, a color theme or a landscape theme or... Just something broad. Know, and really bigger, broad, yeah. you know, because the Toronto um, Contact uh, Photographic Festival, they've had themes in the past. So they would have things like, you know, um, equality or mm-hmm. solidarity. Mm-hmm. Or, but those things are so open. Yeah. They, they, Any they almost become you, meaningless, right? So they actually dropped that. They don't do that anymore <laughs> either. So um, we, um, we just sort of let the theme develop, you know. Uh, in the past, there's been themes that naturally just pop up like uh, there's a bit of a an ice theme this year we have an antarctic show at not uh not auto galleries oh, cool. with, with hugh conacher he went to antarctica and then there's a whole group of people uh, myself included that went to iceland wow and so yeah the, these little themes they 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 appear on their own it's kind of almost like a pulse of whatever's happening in society that's what photographers yeah. feel like capturing yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got all kinds. We've got someone, uh, we've got uh, Leslie Nakanechny, who's, uh, she's doing um, cyanotypes, for example, and she's at 88 Albert Street. We've got on-screen Manitoba, uh, and they're on our Arthur Street uh, just nearby, and they've got all kinds of set photography. Oh, cool. And so it's very, it's oh, very nice. uh, wide open. We've got people doing, you know, urban landscapes, uh, close-ups of flowers, 
the University of Manitoba uh, architectural uh, faculty is actually in the festival this year. And, uh, of course, they're taking lots of architectural so photos. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a cool list. So last yeah. year had 116 photographers uh, displaying their work in 53 different venues. How is this year shaping up for this month? Well, I'm a little disappointed because we shrank just a little well, bit. Well, we quality still have... over quantity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's um, we don't dictate you know, where mm -hmm. the venues are, we don't dictate how many people we want to have or don't want to have. So it is organic. We have uh, 37 different venues uh, and we have still over 100 photographers. Nice. I've kind of lost count because there's some group shows. There's a couple of shows which have uh, over 10 people in a single venue. So that can bump up the uh, right. photographer numbers uh, quite a lot. And actually at the Millennium Library downtown here, there's two separate shows because they've got uh, the glass cases on the, on the main floor. And then you go up to the second floor by the um oh what's it called there's a the little auditorium in there right uh, you know yeah, what i'm talking yeah, about do, it's named after what's her name oh i can't remember the people are uh, screaming at the yeah, radios exactly. right now listening tweet, to tweet us. us if you, you know yeah, yeah tweet, exactly. <laughs> that's if right you know tweet it. us what's the name you'll you'll win a five dollar exactly. uh, coupon <laughs> perfect so access to all sounds like an important aspect of of the festival why is yeah. it important to not have any restrictions of professional well winnipeg's a small town mm -hmm. you know you can't yeah. you you I, I suppose if we were doing this in another larger city like vancouver montreal toronto or you know new york you could sort of get away with saying having a having a, a wall by, by sort of having a jury and saying you're not quite good enough and you are good enough but that's not how we roll in Manitoba. We, we can't really do that. We have to be nice to everyone and open to everyone and let the chips fall where they may. And uh, I don't think there's... Some, some people have sort of said, well, you know, you should really make sure the quality is, you know, at a minimum level. But, you know, once again... Where's that you can't, line? You can't do... Yeah, first of all, who's going to draw that line? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be the person yeah. who sort of tells someone, well, you know, you're not quite good enough for the festival. And that type of bad blood can go around really quickly, you know, and once again, Winnipeg's a small, Winnipeg's Canada's largest small town is yeah. what I like to say. So For sure. can't do that. So uh, have you been surprised at some of the submissions from, from amateur photographers or? Um, yes. Uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call her an amateur, but Connie Chappell, uh, she always does the most amazing things. She's got uh, uh, parts of mannequins floating in water this year. It's so what are you looking at amazing. here? Is this a book from this year's this submissions? This is a program. Or? Yes, okay, I've brought cool. a program for awesome. you. It's a gift, Nolan. Well, it's thank for you. you. That's so, <laughs> so, so generous. Yeah. And these these programs are free. They're at Parlor Coffee. I just dropped off a bunch at Pop uh, Constance Pop's Chocolates on cool. Vivanche, the Winnipeg Art Gallery in the main floor. They've got these. They're free. They're full color. Yeah, and it looks uh, by beautiful. the way, I would like to thank Friesen's Publishing because they're it awesome. Looks it looks amazing. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is. Um, I wanted to make this program the nicest program of any festival in Winnipeg or I think, Manitoba. I think you might have succeeded. And I, I think I did it. That it's looks a, great. It's a book. It's not just something which you would no, not at all. throw away, right? This it looks is like something. a nice coffee table book. You know? That's what like, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. that's what I'm saying. This, it, it's, it's quite nice. So now everyone is just you know Very aching cool. to see what we're talking about. So yeah. well, they are free. And if you go to flashfest.net, uh, there's a map um, on there where, with all of the venues. And we have dropped off programs at every venue. Oh, cool. But... They may, I don't know, they may be gone because they're so pretty. We've given like six or seven yeah. to each one and they may have disappeared. But in any case, um, uh, Parlor Coffee is sort of our main hub on Main Street. And you can get uh, cool. you can get them. But anyway, for, for, for being surprised by amateurs yeah. or, or whomever, um, yes, I am surprised. Uh, you know, like I said, Connie Chapel, she's, I wouldn't necessarily call her an amateur. She is an actual um, uh 
an artist who has had uh, sh- you know solo shows and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think she's mostly self-taught. So oh, cool. you know, kudos to her. Um, uh, I'm just quickly thumbing yeah, I'm through gonna the p- I'll put you on the spot here. Not even necessarily from this, <laughs> from this year, but what is uh, what is one of the exhibits or one of the uh, shows that you remember being like, oh man, this is really blowing my mind. Um, my goodness. Well, my, my head just turns to mush immediately because there has been so many of them. It's probably like choosing a favorite child. Well, no, you can't. That's right. Exactly. It's like, hey, hey, Nolan, what's the best sandwich you ever had? Yeah, you know, right, it's, right, like, right. <laughs> it's impossible. Good point. That's fair. So, but for this year, actually, Dimitri Kirshner has d- done some really amazing work with oh, wow. um, uh, the radio audience right now. I'm showing yeah. Nolan. <laughs> The, the images you can't see. I can, so, s- I can tell you they are beautiful. How would you describe those? <laughs> I, I would say they're almost like a painting. You know, those are yeah. photo- photos that look almost paint like, he's, like he's, they've been painted. It's got a black background and yeah. there's water. And he's sort of got like a lemon falling into the water and then a, a fist. But then he's turned them on their side so it looks like the lemon they're and the fist each are flying towards each yeah. other. And so I, I've uh, never seen this very fellow's clever. work before. Very and uh, he's from Russia. He's a, he has a very awesome, strong Russian accent. Cool. And uh, it's amazing. And his uh, place, he's at uh, the store next door and Chew, which is 532 Waterloo Street. And so that's very, very, very cool. interesting stuff. But uh, So I understand this year you're also partnered with the Winnipeg Harvest. How does that partnership come about and, and what exactly is happening? Well, we uh, we just sort of uh, asked them. We've been uh, partnered with them, uh, gosh, I think since about the second year. Uh, in fact, Ian McCausland, local uh, commercial photographer, that's sort of his um, charity that he likes to, to push. And, and he, uh, you know, we're buds. And so he's like, well, why don't you get involved with Winnipeg Harvest? And I was like, well, yes, why not? We should do that. Mm. And so uh, we've got a Dodge and burn lecture series at photo central every tuesday kids october 24th is the last one and Lindsay reed she's a local architectural photographer she is going to be uh talking about her practice and the the, the gimmick is is that you show up to uh all four of these uh, dodge and burn lecture series at photo central you have to bring a can or pay five dollars donation to winnipeg harvest oh perfect to get in and uh, so uh yeah we've uh, raised i think gosh at least over a hundred dollars nice we sh- we just shake the tin we don't yeah. know how much is in there Cool. That's that's work. That, anything you can do, I think, is a, a mm-hmm. good thing here in here in Winnipeg. So flashfest.net is where you can find uh, maps, yes. lists of where everything is, and these are all happening throughout the entire month of October, or some yes. are certain weeks, or is it just all October? It's long? basically all of our, or even longer. Some of them are set up in September, oh, and cool. they go all the way till November. Uh, there is actually um, a group show of over 30 individual photographs on the fourth floor of the WAG. So that's kind of, um, we're using that kind of like a, um, that's where our kickoff party was on October 2nd, and everyone's very, very pleased. Uh, the WAG has uh, um, uh, partnered with us uh, right from the get-go. Uh, Dr. Stephen Boris said, uh, how can I help? How can we do this oh, cool. and make this happen? So uh, we figured out to put it up on the fourth floor, and you can go up in there anytime, and it's free, and you can see a sampling of... Uh, on the big white wall there of uh, not everyone, but you know about maybe one third of all the photographers uh, offered an image. And um, yeah, yeah, I forgot what I was talking about. That's great. Well, (laughs) it sounds like all of Winnipeg is being made a little bit more beautiful with all these uh, photos and and the... uh, Yeah. Everything being shown off. So flashfest.net to check out the Flash Photographic Festival here in Winnipeg throughout all of October and beyond. Uh, Leif Norman, Executive Director of the Festival. Thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, Good luck with the rest of the month and uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.